Hello and welcome to The Best is Net to Come. My name is Josh and I am joined by my good friend Michael Rubenstein. Today is April 6, 2022 and we're talking about the Brooklyn Nets who won last night. We are recording right before they start their game against the Knicks tonight. So they have won. They are 41-38 and 38 as of this exact moment. Possibly 41 and 39 if you're listening tomorrow. Hopefully 42 <laughs> and 38. Um, but they will at least, if there's any sort of like silver lining in this season, they did not have a losing record this year. Even if they lose out, they will go 500, which is not something you want to hang your hat on, but it is something. <laughs> and um, a couple other fortunate things happened last night. Not only did the Nets beat um, the Rockets, getting that win. All three other teams in the play-in currently, which are the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Charlotte Hornets, and the Atlanta Hawks, lost, pushing the Nets from 10th, which they were after Saturday's loss to the Hawks, up to currently 8th, tied with the Hawks at 9, but I think they have um, an advantage of some, I think, I guess, game-winning advantage. So, if the Nets win out, their destiny is in their own hands. They just have to beat the Knicks, the Cavs, and then the final game of the season is against the Pacers. Only the Cavs have something to play for. The Knicks are probably going to play hard to spoil because, of course, the Nets and the Knicks have this rivalry. Nets have won their last six matchups in a row, believe it or not. So, you know, the, the Knicks are really, you know, wanting a win, I'm assuming. The game is in Madison Square Garden. But, yes, the Knicks, not great. The Cavs falling apart, and then the Pacers not good. The Nets could win the next three games. Now, two weeks ago, Mike, <laughs> you predicted that you and Rick collectively predicted that the Nets would have a very uh, positive end to the season. When there was ten games left, you guys were thinking eight to two or nine to one in terms of the win loss ratio, and it's looking more like a six four five five scenario right now. So, what are your thoughts going into these last three games about the team? What do you? What is your prediction? Uh, I think they'll win these last three games because, uh, like you said, like the teams they're playing, the Cavs have been just like bad lately. They've fallen from like the top four in the East to almost seven or eight now in just a few weeks with injuries and stuff going on. So they should hopefully win that game. And then I'd be really surprised if they lost to the Knicks or the Pacers. Uh, you said they've beaten the Knicks six uh, six straight times. They're all close. So, like, every game against the Knicks, you just never know. Um, the last one, they were behind by, like, 30, and they came back and won because of Cam Thomas uh, hitting a pretty crazy shot. So, who knows? Um, it's good to see Seth Curry's playing tonight. Bruce Brown got over his illness pretty fast. I think Dragic might be back tonight. So, hopefully, if everyone's healthy, except James Johnson is out, and that's great because he sucks yeah. so bad that mm-hmm. I'm happy he's out. Uh, Me too. Yeah, I'm just happy that like, the end of the season has optimism now. Like that whole control your own destiny thing, that could turn into such good momentum for these last couple games into the playoffs versus, you know, limping into that 10 seed and having to go against like the Hawks in Atlanta. I don't want to have to do that. So pretty cool opportunity, all things considered, of what happened against the Grizzlies and the Hawks and whatever other game I think they blew they were supposed to win. But yeah. Mavericks. Spencer Dinwiddie hitting the buzzer beater. Okay, yeah, that one. So uh, I think if it all comes together the way it could, it might actually be a pretty 
good end of the season. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to think like what could have been, especially with these last 10 games that they've played. There was a couple close games that they lost, uh, you know, especially like the heartbreakers against the Hornets and the Hawks. These are the two teams that you need to beat in order to put them down and put you up in the standings. And the Nets found ways to lose to those teams. So, yeah, it's been really tough these last few games um, trying to really get a gauge of like what this team is trying to do moving into the playoffs. Are they actually like mentally, are they prepared for the like unprecedented journey they're going to have to make to try to get to even an Eastern conference finals or a finals or uh, you know, is this just like they're kind of playing their basketball, but not really invested because a lot of bad things have happened this season and, and they're just looking forward to next season. I'm not sure. I mean, the way KD and, and, and Kyrie are, they're going to play hard every night. Like, KD's just a hooper, man. Like, he just loves to play. He's going to try hard no matter what, even if they were, like, the worst team in the league, in which they kind of are without him. <laughs> but, like, I don't know. A part of me wonders if, like, there's going to be a point where KD's like, I'm tired. I'm just tired of been dragging this team. <laughs> every single game this season, I drag them to barely a win against, like, a really bad team. The, the role players have been abysmal still, really, really bad. Like, other than Andre Drummond and the occasional Nick Claxton or Bruce Brown situation, like, everyone else in the team's been trash. Like, James mm-hmm. Johnson, like you mentioned, trash. Patty yeah. Mills, trash. So, and it's so unfortunate. Here's the piece that I'm holding a little bit more optimism on, too, is that last year, remember the roller coaster of last season, we had Tyler Johnson – um, with TLC. Shamit, TLC. We had a few role players at, when Mike James came in that as the season was going, we were like, "Is they are they good? Are they bad? Are they good? Are they bad? We, we couldn't tell. And then when the playoffs started, Nash didn't play any of them. Yeah. <laughs> like So what I'm excited for is when playoff time starts, Nash will stop experimenting a little bit. And I think he'll ride, you know, Durant, Curry, Bruce Brown, Kyrie, Claxton, like those guys more than is James Johnson going to work here is uh you know Patty Mills going to do this at this point I think Nash will tighten it up and give our better players just more time more control of the game it, the pace slows down a little bit it becomes possession by possession so I actually like the Nets in that situation just remembering how last playoffs was it all the lineups we saw all season didn't mean anything in that first couple rounds of the playoffs. You're right. You're right. I'm, um, you know, I actually was recently listening JJ Reddick's podcast, old man, the three, he had a collaboration with KD and his podcast. So I was listening mm-hmm. to that earlier today and it was really awesome. If you haven't listened to that yet, fans of the Brooklyn Nets, definitely go listen to the Kevin Durant pod with, with JJ and Kevin Durant basically details a lot of his different experiences in games. And he's got this like, Photogenic memory. Photogenic? No, that's not the word. Photo. Photo. What's the word? Photo. Something. Uh, I, photographic. Photographic. Or photogenic I, I memory. Identic. His memory is very, very. Looks really good on a camera. But <laughs> he also is just remembers exact moments in games. And he was talking about last year. He's talking about those moments that he played against them in game five. And about how, you know, he knew the whole entire game. Like, they're just. Going to be like, Katie can get whatever points he wants. We're just going to play defense on everyone else and see what happens. 
And, like, any team, really, if they want to beat the Nets, the only thing they have to do is double-team KD every possession. That's, like, what the Mavs did a few weeks ago. And if you only have to beat the Nets once in order to knock them out of the playoffs, why not just triple-team KD every game, <laughs> like, like the, during the game? Make Bruce Brown beat you. So, I don't know. I'm worried that, like, it's going to be very simple to knock them out in one game. If they can just get into a series then I'm a little more confident that the Nets can make it something. But, yeah, these one-game outs, like, the Nets can lose to anyone. I really don't have any confidence that they'll beat anyone, even a hurt Cleveland Cavaliers team, who might end up being their matchup. Now, so the play-in is locked. The playoffs are not fully locked. But I think some seeds can change still, but the teams that are in the playoffs are locked. So on the in the East, at least, we've got the Bucks. The Sixers, the Celtics, the Heat, the Raptors, who was like a little bit of a resurgence in the second half of the season, making their way from like 10th to 5th now. And just barely, even though they're falling apart, the Chicago Bulls clinched a spot in the playoffs. They're probably going to be the 6th seed. And now we have our four here. We have the, the Cavs, the Nets, the Hawks, and the Hornets. What's the best one-game scenario for the Nets of the three play-in games? Obviously, would you say, ranking them, like, between those three, would you start that with the Cavs? I would, yeah. I don't want to play Atlanta. They can just shoot the lights out on any given night, and Trey Young is a, a proven killer. I don't want to play Trey Young. Uh, the Hornets scare me a little bit just because of their, their youth and the way they play. They play really fast. And if their three-pointers are going in, it's going to be tough. Where the Cavs, I think they kind of base everything they do off of size. And with Garland coming off injury and Mobley's been hurt. Excuse me. Um, Jared Allen's hurt, I think. So I just think everything the Cavs, everything they were doing in the beginning of the season to be successful, they just haven't been able to do because of injuries. And they're going to, they play a little slower than the other teams. So I would want them. Yeah, even though they're the best seed out of everyone, I think that's the best matchup. Even going into Cleveland, even if we don't catch them for the seven, if we still get the eight and they're the seven, I'm fine with that. Mm. So so would you put Cavs, then Hornets, then then the Hawks is like the team you want to see the least? Yeah, Yeah. I I agree with that. I agree with that. I worry about LaMelo, though. He's a little bit of a wild card. Yeah, he is, but not not like Trey Young. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Also, those other guys in the Hornets, they can just pop off whenever. Like, Rozier can have, like, a 40-point game. Miles Bridges goes up and and plays really well every now and then. They got a bunch of randos doing really well. All right. And then in the West, I think most of the seeds are locked up, but there's a few that are – I think at the bottom, there's a a possibility that the sixth seed could drop to the seven or something. Like, are the Timberwolves officially locked into the play? And I don't think so yet, right? Uh, I don't know that for sure. I know that, like, the Pelicans and Spurs, I'm pretty sure, are locked in at 9 and 10. Yeah. Um, the 8 is the cl- – I think Clippers are locked in at 8. Let me just take a quick look here. Um, Minnesota yeah, so is what, mm-hmm. two games behind Denver with three games to go. Actually, Denver only has two games left to play. Oh, so to, so two games behind with two games to go. Denver would have to lose both. Minnesota would have to win both for them to flop. 
Right. But also, Denver's only a half game behind Utah for the five seed. So, so those three seeds are a little bit of a toss-up. Yeah. But it looks like the top four are pretty much locked in. You've got the Suns at one, of course, 63 wins. They, they, we're going to talk about their 63rd win a little bit in a second because it was important for another very bad uh, team in the West. 63rd win, franchise record for the Suns. They're number one. Number two, the Memphis Grizzlies, one of the most exciting teams in the league, winning games without John Moran against really good teams. Number three, Warriors. At 50 wins, they're a win above the Mavericks, so there's a chance that they go to four. They could possibly fall to four, but they're not going to fall to five, where the Jazz are currently. And like you said, Jazz, Nuggets, Timberwolves are all kind of in shooting range. I'm just going to assume that things are going to stay as is. Timberwolves are probably going to be in the seventh. They're going to play the Clippers in the the, the first, the 7-8 play, play-in game, and then the Pelicans will play the Spurs. And that's because... Last night, as I mentioned, the Phoenix Suns beat the Los Angeles Lakers, uh, LeBron-less Los Angeles Lakers, and the Lakers are officially out of playoff contention. They can't even make the play-in. Currently, their record is 31-48. and 48. Now, I bet a lot of people before the season probably put money on them having a reverse of that record, 48-31 <laughs> mm-hmm. at this point in the series, and uh, a lot of this like ESPN first take talk is going on on Twitter, but Mike, just to put it out there in one sentence, is the 2021-2022 Lakers one of the most disappointing teams in NBA history? I'm going to say yes, and they're tied with the other failed Lakers team from however long ago. When 2012? Was, yeah, Kobe, Nash. Dwight Howard, Steve Nash. Like, It's right up there because going into the season – Everyone thinks LeBron is still, like, the best current player. And people are trying to throw other names out there. But if before the season started, if you said, give me a healthy LeBron or anyone else, I think most people are still going to take a healthy LeBron. Now, obviously, his health didn't hold up throughout the course of the season. Anthony Davis, that's the biggest question mark on his whole legacy uh, is his health. And then they had a bunch of other, like, old guys. They had Rondo, who they gave up on really fast. I'm not sure what happened with Rondo. Mello, like, every now and then he hits a couple shots and everyone's like, look how good Mello still is. But, like, no one talks about, like, the next eight games when he's terrible. Uh, Dwight Howard, what's he doing out there? Like, nothing. Uh, They got DeAndre Jordan. That's how desperate they were for a while. Like, he, that was the moment I knew. Like, I'm sure you did, too. Like, they're done. If they had to go out and get DeAndre Jordan, they are cooked. And they gave up all of their assets. They gave up their future to bend to LeBron's will. Westbrook, I feel bad for him because I, I rooted for him up until like last year, but he was atrocious. And he's the only one who actually like played in all the games. So I feel bad because he really tried. He just like couldn't get it. Wasn't good. But uh, yeah, I've, I've loved every minute of this. It's amazing. I'm so happy we don't have to see them in the playoffs. Because like in the back of my mind, I was like, if they get healthy, if they make the play in tournament and Anthony Davis and LeBron are both healthy. Like, that's a scary team. They could go out and do some stuff. So I'm so glad that Nail has been driven into the coffin and they're out. Very exciting. I completely agree. I also had that same sneaking fear that, like, they would find themselves in a really easy 9-10 matchup, then play, 
you know, the Clippers and beat them in like this momentous win in, in the crypto arena, whatever the hell it's called, <laughs> crypto.com arena. And then they would go on and play the Suns with all this momentum, like, and it would be really tough because you, you'd want the Suns to win and then everyone would bet the Suns to win, but still, you never can bet against LeBron in a lot of ways. But no, they're out. They're done. And it's great. It's fantastic. I'm so glad that we don't have to talk about the Lakers anymore. We don't have to like read about them as much. And the only things that people can talk about now is how de- like just demoralizing this season was for them. It's a complete failure. And I'm so happy to hear that because I mean, it's not even like, I don't, I obviously I'm not huge on, I don't like rooting for LeBron. I know he's like the best player in the league. I just don't like rooting for him. I probably wouldn't have rooted for Michael if I was alive in the 90s. I'm just that kind of guy. I don't like rooting for the best player. I'm always like the second best player is my favorite player. (laughs) But I also hate the Lakers, and I'm so tired of the Lakers. I hate the legacy. I hate, like, the Lakers fans. It's just so annoying. So I'm so glad that it's over for them this season. If only the Boston Celtics could have also been as bad (laughs) as they were Mm -hmm. back in December. And uh, that leads me to um, our next little segment here where we're going to talk about two teams that we think have surprised us by the end of the season and how good they were um, in both conferences. And then two teams that were supposed to be great but actually fell apart towards the end of the season. And you know what? Just for the sake of, like, talking about something else, maybe we won't use the Lakers for our oh, Western yeah, yeah, Conference yeah. failure. Because I think that's obvious, right? We yeah. all know that the Lakers are terrible. But there's other teams that maybe um, should have performed better than they have. So, um, Mike, why don't you give me one of your teams that has risen uh, in the East to, to surprising heights? Okay, well, that one I think is easy as the Raptors. Um, they were like the 11 seed, like halfway through the season. They were not good. I don't know exactly what was going on. Maybe just playing with no fans was, like, just really getting to them. They spent all last season not playing in Toronto. Though I'm sure just as a franchise, like, they probably just was were kind of out of sorts. And maybe they all got healthy and found a rhythm. Nick Nurse is, is I think, a legitimately good coach. They play, like, kind of like a college basketball team, in my opinion, where they are running full speed on both sides of the ball. They full-court press people, which is really annoying. <laughs> um, yeah. They just play really hard, and Pascal Siakam remember like, hey, I'm a really good player, and Van Fleet is a great player, and Scotty Barnes, arguably Rookie of the Year. So it all came together very, very fast, and they've just shot up in the in the uh, in the standings. So Raptors, I don't know if they'll make any actual noise in the playoffs. I wouldn't want to play them if I were like the Celtics or the Sixers. Uh, I think Heat Raptors would be a pretty cool like flash of like hard playing physicality basketball but personally if the raptors play the sixers besides the nets playing the sixers i would love that because i think the the uh, raptors would really give them a tough series i legitimately think that the raptors would win that series honestly yeah because the raptors like you said like they're playing such an intense level of basketball right now. It's not just that they're making their shots, which is really was the problem for them in the first half of the season. They they kind of played the same, but they weren't making their shots. Like Siakam was in a huge slump up until like February. He was not playing like an all-star at all. And then things just switched. The all-star break happened. They got a little bit of a breather and now they're incredible. Like I would be terrified to play them no matter who I was because they're that kind of like, 
no one's really talking about us kind of team. And because of that, we're trying super hard and no one has any expectations for us. Like we're, we're, we're far removed from the 2019 Raptors. Like no one thinks of us as like a powerhouse anymore. We, we have a lot of the same guys, but we also are like kind of a gritty spunky team now, not a, like a super team in any way. Because they had that terrible year last year, and then they also had, um, I, I, well, no, they they did okay in the bubble. I think they they went to the Eastern Conference semis, but because and then they also lose Lowry if he goes to Miami. So you would think that the team would have a lot of growing pains this year, and it seemed like it was going to be that way. But no, you're right. Like I would definitely not want to face them. They're very good. They're very well coached. Scotty Barnes legitimately might steal Rookie of the Year. I think he might be it. And everyone wanted Mobley to be it because he was like the most traditional pick for a rookie of the year. Like right in the right in the first game of the year, he was great. But Mobley did have some injuries, and his team kind of fell apart. Barnes, phenomenal. So I don't know. All right, uh, another team I'll mention as a East uh, surprise for me was the Boston Celtics, because up until about January, the Boston Celtics were kind of like middling and not looking great, and seemed to have the same problems that they were having last year, but almost compounded on because a lot of people were questioning new coach, former Nets assistant coach, Ime Adoka's coaching style, thinking it was maybe oil and water with these guys because they've been there for so long. To bring this new guy in, it's not working, right? It was There was a lot of think pieces about how the Celtics were not working up until January. And then something happened where Jason Tatum realized that he's one of the best players in the league and everyone else around him sort of supported that in a lot of ways. They've also got incredibly hard playing players like Marcus Smart plays his heart out every game. Even though he's kind of dirty, he plays really hard. Uh, Jalen Brown's great most of the time. And then like scrappy other guys like Grant Williams and amazing up and coming center in Time Lord, Robert Williams, who's currently hurt but there's a potential that he comes back in the first round or maybe the second round of the playoffs. I think even with him hurt, the Celtics are still a legitimate, scary team. And, you know, they even cracked the first, like, the one seed a few, like a week or two ago. I don't know if they're going to end up in the top two seeds. They might be the three. But whoever they play in the first round has got, a, a, like, a, a monster of a team to face. And, yeah, like, Jason Tatum is finally starting to actualize himself as like a top 10 guy in the league, which he always has. He always has had the, had the ability to be, but I guess now what is this his fourth year? He's, he's finally filling that role. This is his fourth or fifth. I think it Tatum? might be his fifth. I think it's his fifth year. Fifth. Yeah. Yeah. What, what do you, uh, what do you worry about when it comes to the Celtics? If you're a, if you're a team facing them. Uh, so the Celtics, I think, they rebranded themselves as a defensive team. And in the beginning of the year, I think a lot of people were just like expecting the same hero ball from Tatum and Brown as like two individuals. And then like whatever else happened, happened if they win or lose, you know, what, whatever the result might be. But now that you mentioned Marcus Smart and Time Lord, those guys individually are both phenomenal defenders. And if they set the tone, everyone else follows suit, at least somewhat like Jason Tatum. I wouldn't call him an elite defender. But he's got length and he can defend. Jalen Brown can defend. So as a team, I think they're just playing such hard defense and it just uh, fuels their offense. And then like everything you said about Tatum is true. 
My only concern with the Celtics is in playoff basketball, do they resort back to isolation too much at the end of games? Because the Celtics, from what I can remember, just from watching the last couple of years, usually they lose because they just, the last five minutes of a game, they just do isolation after isolation after isolation, and they stop playing team basketball. And that's not good offense to get your defense like hyped up. So if I'm a Celtics fan, I'm still a little bit worried about that. But if I'm a fan of the team they're playing, uh, if Robert Williams does come back, like it's going to be tough to score uh, 115, 120 points to beat the offensive explosion that could happen from Tatum and Brown. Yeah, they were just like sunning teams. It was bad for a while. Like it felt like no one can like even like come within 20 points of the Celtics by the end of a game. Yeah, because they were they were they went on a tear for like two or three weeks where. They would wherever whether they were playing in Boston or they were playing away, they would like be up by 26 at half and stuff, and it it was it was nasty, and it had to do with the defense. You're absolutely right. All right, so now let's move on to the two teams in the East that have definitely disappointed, and we're not going to talk about the Nets because we do that every week. We everyone yeah. who listens <laughs> to this knows that the Brooklyn Nets are disappointing this year, but <laughs> let's talk about two other teams that maybe had um, a, a bit of a shakeup in the season that, you know, they started great, but things just didn't work out. Why don't you start, Mike? So I've got a few directions I could go with this. Uh, so mm-hmm. honorable mention, two of them. I'm going to shout out the Knicks and mm-hmm. the Hawks, just based mm-hmm. on what they did last year. Like, coming into the season, the Knicks made some moves, and everyone's like, oh, the Knicks are, like, going to be a top-five seed. Like, look out. They got Evan Fournier now to go with uh, Julius Randle. They got Kemba Walker now. Like. And it didn't work. Um, and then the Hawks went from conference finals to the 10 seed or the 9 seed right now. So they definitely have had a weird season. But as far as who started strong and fell off, I got to go with the Bulls. Because I really thought the Bulls were going to be like top three, you know, halfway through the season. Injuries really have hurt them. Uh, Levine missed a bunch of games. Lonzo Ball has been out for a very long time. And he might be out for the rest of the season. Yeah. And no continuity to Rosen as great as he's been. Uh, it's just tough basketball the way he plays. Like he's he'll score 40 points for you, but he does it with isolation. And this recurring theme of isolation basketball doesn't always win games because the rest of the team is too stagnant. And Vucevic, when they got him, whatever, a season and a half or two seasons, whatever they got him. I thought he was going to put them over the top and he's like become a shell of himself. He just doesn't seem like that old net killer from the magic that could get you 30 and 15 on a nightly, like on any given night. So I don't know what's going on with them as a whole. I haven't watched them play except for kind of watching them lose to the bucks last night when I was at uh, trivia, but yeah, I, I really thought they'd be better than they are now. It seems like the Vooch situation is compounded by the fact that he's now on a team with like two to three legitimate scorers where when he was on the magic for all those years, it was really like him and like an Aaron Gordon and like Evan Fournier, like no one who could really play play. Mm -hmm. So he probably had less stress on him. So he could just really take whatever shots he felt like. And maybe he's one of those kind of guys who's just more comfortable in a less, you know, we need to win kind of situation. Yeah. He, he comes. He comes to Chicago, and Chicago's been bad for a long time now. Like they haven't had a legitimate winning team in like five or six years. 
and there's a lot of pressure on him to be good because he's been an all-star. Then they get DeRozan, and now with Levine, and um, you know other guys like Caruso and, and Ball who play really hard. You would expect him to like match their energy, but maybe it's just like too much for him. I don't know. They would do much better with a more traditional center, someone like, uh, you know, who doesn't shoot, who can just mm-hmm. like dunk and stuff, and that's it. Like, Vooch almost never is like a dunk. He's never in the dunker spot, really. Yeah. Very rarely. You're right. Okay, so Bulls fell apart, and then I guess my second one, unfortunately for them, would be the Cleveland Cavaliers, and it's not their fault entirely. Similar to the Bulls, they've had a ton of injuries, starting all the way back in like January when um. When uh, what's his name got injured for the season, um, the point guard slipping my uh, mind. Rubio. Rubio. Ricky Rubio. Yeah, that was Ricky so Rub- sad. Yeah, that was sad because he was having a, a, a resurgence of his own, and he was really helping the team. He was putting them over the top. They draft Evan Mobley, right? And he's amazing as a, as a rookie, but you know he can only do so much. He can't really shoot free throws, so he's kind of like a hacka hacka Mobley. Uh, problem for close games and then like Garland and Jared Allen had great seasons but just everyone's just falling apart at the end so another team with very low expectations to out you know outplay those expectations but still not sure what's going to happen to them they're stuck in the play-in now because they've had a little bit of a fallout mm-hmm. we'll see if it'll be the Nets versus the Cavs Honestly, I would not pick the Cavs in any of the three matchups that they might have in the play-in, whether it be the Nets, the Hawks, or the Hornets. Mm-hmm. None of those teams are worse than the current iteration of the Cavs, in my opinion. What, what, mm-hmm. Would you disagree? or? No, I, I agree with that. And just to add, because you said pretty much all I would want to say is the good news for Cleveland is, like, this was found money this season, mm-hmm. like, they didn't expect this. All their guys are young and developing, and they're all there. Like they're not. They don't have any contract issues. They don't have any uh, potential ramifications from an early playoff exit. Like no one's gonna be like look at Darius Garland, and be like, oh, he he choked. He's he's washed. Where like the Bulls, like there, I think there is some pressure on guys like DeRozan and Levine. Uh, a little bit older. They've been doing this a little bit longer. Uh, even with Lonzo Ball, a little bit. So the Cavs, whatever happens, if they lose in the play-in tournament, even if they lose to the Nets and then they lose to the Hawks and they don't make the playoffs, like, yeah, it'll be disappointing, but at least going into next year, they have a lot to feel good about, I think, where if the Bulls get, like, swept by the Raptors in the first round, like, that's not good. <laughs> no, so, not good. Yeah. Doesn't look like the Bulls will play the Raptors. They're probably going to end up playing like the Bucks, which is going to be oh, awful okay. for them. Yeah, yeah. Either the Bucks <laughs> or or possibly the Sixers. It's a real toss up. That the top four seed is is I think other than the maybe the Heat is kind of locked in at like top two, mm-hmm. but other than that, I think all of those other three teams, the Sixers, the Bucks, and the and the Celtics are kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. Even with like only two or three games left. All right, so let's move over to the West. Um, going back with our um, two teams who had maybe slow starts to the season, but then surprising finishes where they're looking really strong, kind of a team that you don't want to face. Mm-hmm. Who's the who's one of those teams for you? Minnesota. You mm. you briefly mentioned Minnesota before, and I'm I'm glad because I want to talk about them now. Minnesota, if they match up against Memphis in the first round, because right now Minnesota's in that seven seed, I think. 
or if they win that playing game against the Clippers at the seventh. That's going to be a really interesting series because Memphis, as good as they've been, they're all young. They all don't have any playoff experience, and the Timberwolves don't either. So that's really going to be a battle of, like, whose swag comes out. Because the Timberwolves have been playing with a lot of swag lately. I don't know if you saw, like, the Clips when they beat the Lakers, the trash talk they were given LeBron and Westbrook, uh, that whole game. Anthony Edwards, I love him, but he could pop off, like, saying some weird stuff. And um, Talon seems to have a chip on his shoulder. And D'Angelo Russell, like, we've seen him put on some pretty big performances. So I would love to see Minnesota play Memphis. I think Memphis would win, but I'm really surprised at how good Minnesota is. And I think I said it either at the end of last season or the beginning of this one. This should have happened because they have Edwards as a first pick. Towns is a first pick. Russell's second overall pick. Like they've got guys that are top of their draft classes. And for some reason, Minnesota has been this franchise kind of like the Kings that it's just never worked. But now it is, and it's really exciting. So I, I really hope, whether they win or lose a playoff series, I hope they at least like make it look good because it's been a very, very long time for that franchise. I agree, and I think that, yeah, they have a similar energy right now to a team like the Raptors or something in the East where it's it's a lot of guys just playing super hard, playing, you know, at, finally clicking. Like, they had a lot of turmoil over the last... You know, you can actually say like four years for Carl Anthony Towns has not worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, even with like the, the same team essentially last year, they weren't that great. They were pretty shitty last year too. Most of the same guys, but it's just the renewed confidence that they developed somehow throughout the year. That's been pretty awesome for them. So good for Minnesota. Hopefully they make the playoffs. I really hope they do. They're probably going to end up in the seventh seed, but I hope they win their play-in game. Um, but I guess – my uh, my pick would be the Mavericks, and it's because the Mavericks have always been uh, kind of like a seventh seed, sixth seed kind of team. I think they were the fifth last year, but they ended up losing in the first round again. And I think this is the year. This is going to be the year that Luka makes a statement and wins his first playoff series because – of the team that they're playing with, it's just so much different under Jason Kidd than it was under Carlisle. And I, I think it's most of the same guys, too. I know they brought in Dinwiddie, but they've got a lot of the same dudes. They're playing really hard defense and very, like, everyone knows their role to a T. Everyone knows exactly where to be and that Luka runs the show. And basically, everyone is playing for Luka and making sure that he is at the top of his game every game. Luca was fucking astounding this year. Probably another first round, I mean, uh, first all NBA team for him. But has he been on the first all NBA before? I, I I would assume at least got uh, most, probably got some votes. I'm not sure. I he would might say have been second. Yeah, whatever year that Curry was out from like last year, I guess he would have had a shot. But I know like Lillard probably had an insane. I don't know. That's a good question. I feel like he probably did make first team but yeah. I don't know that with 100% confidence. We'll do our research eventually and uh, <laughs> figure that out. But, yeah, he's definitely, like, in the contention for a first team this year. His stats were astounding. And watching him play, it's like watching um, a metronome or, like a, like, a you know, watching the watch of a hypnotist. You feel like you're just falling falling into this Luca trance. And I, I it's like the way that he moves and the way that 
he conducts himself. You never really know when he's going to pull up. But then at the same time, when he pulls up, you're like, of course he's pulling up right now. Like, that's his move. He does it all the time. He's also a fantastic passer. And he's got a lot of good role players. Like, Brunson had to step up. You know, uh, Kleber is decent. They got rid of Porzingis, which was a good move for them because Porzingis was just, like, dead weight. And, uh, yeah, they're just – they're a the kind of team that I wouldn't want to play right now in the West. I really think the Mavericks, this is their year. They're finally going to win a playoff series. Do you think the Mavericks will? So I'm so glad you picked them because I was not thinking of them. I have a, a few things to say. First, of just the Western Conference as a whole, and this is why the West has always been so tough. Whoever Dallas plays, whether it's the Jazz or the Nuggets, I think are their two most likely. Um, whoever loses that series, it's a pretty big legacy herder for any of those teams, because like you said, Doncic, he's lost in the first round each of the last two seasons, even though he's been the underdog. Like we still like we're waiting for him to break through. He's played tough Clippers teams, I think, both years or something like that. And he's lost. And like no one blames him for that. But like he needs to win one. Whereas like the Jazz have been hanging around for years. The Nuggets have been hanging around for years. Whoever loses that first round, it's going to be tough. Um, so that's the first thing I do think. This is his chance, like, to really make something special happen. And what's incredible is I think he's the only player, only superstar I can think of, whose team is this good in the standings without an all-star teammate. Like, he's got, like like you said, role players. They're all role players. There's not one other guy on that team that you'd be comfortable saying, like, I need a bucket. Go get me a bucket. Where every other team has at least that second option, if not three options. So... Mm -hmm. A lot of credit to Doncic. Um, I'm happy for Jason Kidd making this kind of coaching resurgence. So the only thing I'll add to our Doncic hype right now is I say this with 100% seriousness. He has goat potential in him. And I don't think that's hyperbole. Everything that LeBron did in his career to this point, like Doncic is doing it faster. He's doing it earlier. The success he's having, the numbers he's putting up, now, if it just translates into some playoff success, like he's already setting himself up on that trajectory. And he's one of those players who plays at his own pace and he can do whatever he wants on the floor at any time. And that is as rare as like LeBron. And I can't even think of who else I might even want to put in that conversation, but he can just do whatever he wants. And it's very unique, very exciting to watch. And I hope they win a playoff series. <laughs> I hope so too, for his legacy, for the sake of that team, because, you know, if they lose again in the first round, there's going to be some shakeups that I don't think are absolutely necessary. I think it's just a matter of like making the guys work who you making the guys you have work. I don't, it's really hard to get a role, like a, a decent um, second best player. Like you see how many like hurdles and, and hoops of fire teams have to jump through just to get like, mediocre players in the in like trade deadlines and stuff mm -hmm. and so it's not easy to build around the guy like luca especially because you watch luca play and you're like yeah he's phenomenal but like do you see luca being a like a guy who can play with another all-star he's so selfish with the ball mm -hmm. he has yeah. the ball in his hands like 80 percent of the time yeah so like you know even a guy like durant who is a, a phenomenal scorer does does let his team play i don't think luca like is willing to do that he Good has point. to have <laughs> he has to have his fingers in everything it's either he's scoring or he's assisting 
Mm-hmm. And that's it. It's kind yeah, of like so. a better Harden. Maybe like a 10 years ago Harden, a, a eight years ago Harden in a way. Yeah, no, that's a good comparison. Uh, when I was thinking of LeBron, like I think that version of James Harden probably does fit this, where if he's not the one shooting the ball, he's at least dribbling it for the whole possession until he finds the open guy. Like you're right. you're right about that. That's a very good way to think about it. And maybe the best way to build a team for a guy like that is just with the perfect role players. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So then let's talk about our two uh, disappointments of the West. So we already got the Lakers out of the way. They are a disappointment to the whole NBA. But what was a disappointment this year in the West that you were kind of surprised by? Hmm. It's tougher because I want to kind of keep the same theme of like a team that started well and then fell off. I don't want to say the Blazers because like coming into the season, I thought the Blazers would be good. And then in a week, we was like, nope, they are terrible and they're tanking already. (laughs) So I don't want to talk about them. Um, I guess I would say the Jazz because the Jazz were the one seed last year. They obviously got upset by an undermanned Clippers, which was like disastrous for them. And then all of this, like, Rudy Gobert and Donovan Mitchell drama is just very disheartening. Like, you're grown men. What are you really – what's wrong with you? Like, get over it. Play <laughs> basketball. Did you see the stat about how much Mitchell passes to him? It's very low, right? He passes, like, two he times. He passes two... less than he turns the ball over, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That's insane. Like, yeah. And then he, he had an interview where someone asked him about it, and he was like, I feel like I'm making the right plays. Uh, we have actually a very high efficiency rate in our pick and rolls, blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, okay, fine. But, like, it's clear that something's wrong on this team. They're too talented, and they've been together for too long to be the five seed. They should really be right up there with the Warriors. Not maybe on the Suns level, but maybe the three seed. Not middle of the pack like they are. They're blowing leads. They're... They can't get on these big win streaks that they probably should be able to. So the Jazz, to me, like, there's still something left to be desired. That's how I would phrase it. Absolutely. They've had so many, like, losing streaks this season that were very um, scary to watch. Like, to think that this is a team that was the one seed last year. They got rid of Ingles, who got hurt, who's out for the season, and then they just got rid of him, which Mm -hmm. I understand. He's an older guy. He's not, like... He's not an asset for this season anymore, but not having him on the team like to play was is huge because he was really important for those wins they got last year. Because if you remember last year, Mitchell was out a lot. He, mm-hmm. he missed like almost a month with uh, some injury, and they still won a lot during that time because of Joe Ingles as a very solid backup point guard. I don't know. Unfortunately – I think that the media cycle this summer is going to be about the spiciest topic of the year, which is might just be, does Donovan Mitchell leave or does he get, mm-hmm. does he force a trade? I don't know. Is his, is his like contract up this summer? I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure. No one really knows these things off the top of their heads, yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, if it is, then it might be easier for him. But even so he's only been on this team. He's a younger guy. He's like 25 or 24. 26 at the most. He's a guy that a lot of other teams will want. He's a New York guy. He's like he's a huge Mets fan, which I love about Mitchell. But would he come to New York? Would he leave the Jazz just because of this like stagnation with the team? 
I'm not sure. Do I they think accommodate, <laughs> or would the or do the Jazz accommodate for him? Maybe move Gobert for some assets that he'd rather play with. What do you think? Yeah. Uh, well, this depends on his contract situation because I don't know off the top of my head. The way people talk about it, it sounded to me like he's a free agent and he could just leave to New York. But I don't know that for sure. I think it's more likely that he leaves. I think Utah is just a very unique location that I can see Donovan Mitchell just like not wanting to be a part of anymore. He wants to probably big market, get him out of like racist Utah. Yeah. Uh, you know, give him a, a more exciting crowd. Uh, the Utah crowd is good. Don't get me wrong. But the market, I guess, like I think he leaves if he if he has the option. Yeah, I guess it, it depends on the, the contract. All right. And then another disappointing team, I would say, like just like a honorable mention disappointing team, because I, I don't know, they, they're they're not exactly extremely high expectations for them. But I I'm kind of like I'm kind of tired of the Oklahoma City Thunder thing. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I know they're not supposed to be good, but I still want them to be at least a play-in team at this point. They've had all these, like, highly drafted players. Every week, they, it feels like one of them is going off and doing something exciting. Like, Shea Gilgis-Alexander hits, like, hits all of his threes in the first three months, it feels like. And then all of a sudden, he doesn't exist anymore. I don't even know if he's on this planet. Like I swear, yeah. I don't. I if you ask me, I don't think he like is currently in the United States. I don't know what he does, but truly, like I know this is the whole plan for the for the Thunder, and it's probably going to be like this next year too, and maybe even the year after that. But how many more years of just like middling, awful basketball are you mm-hmm. going to get from from a team with that much leverage? Like they have yeah. so many picks. They have so much cap capital. They could make at least a team that could play for a playoff spot. Yes, it won't be a, an elite team, but they could do something. Be a name up there on the board with the other names. It just, just, I'm getting tired of this. I don't know. That doesn't really count, but that's why I said honorable mention. Yeah. No, so I, I see what you're saying. I think they've actually just really perfected the art of the tank. And yeah, they really have. Like it, like I get it from a fan perspective. Like I want to see Lou Dort. I want to see uh, Gilgis Alexander play. I want to see Giddy. Like they all should be playing consistently enough where at least we're gonna get to know what they have. But it seems like the Thunder are like, yeah, we know they're good, so we're gonna not play them because why would we want the seventh overall pick if we can get the first overall pick again? So I think. It sucks. <laughs> it's what's wrong with tanking, but they're real. I think they're just perfecting it, honestly. Yeah, they're too good at tanking. It looks yeah. very honest what they're yeah. doing. It yeah. looks like they're legitimately suck. I'm not sure. <laughs> I can't tell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Well, yeah. So that's. I mean, there's a lot of teams in the East and West who probably should have been better, or maybe should have been worse, but weren't. And uh, that's what's really exciting about this year. There's a lot of upsets, a lot of turnarounds. It's not the same as last year. It's not the same best players. The Lakers are out. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the Nets are in the play-in. Uh, a team like the Grizzlies looks like possibly the best team in the league. You know, the only consistency is really the Suns. Yeah, and I would like to talk about them very quickly just because I think we're taking for granted 
how good of a season they're having. Yeah. The Suns, to me, are not exciting. I don't really like Chris Paul still. Devin Booker, to me, like, he's kind of, eh, like, whatever. I know how great he is, but I don't care for him. As a player, like, I don't want, like, wake up and say, oh, I got to watch Devin Booker play today. Um, I know, like, Bridges is good. Crowder is good. Aiton's good. They're having the franchise record win season, which to me blew my mind because they were so good for so long with Steve Nash that I'm, I was surprised that this is their best ever season. But to me, like, it's still just, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care about the Suns. I kind of hope they get beat by the Warriors or the Grizzlies. Uh, but, I mean, for all we know, they're, they are legitimately this great. Maybe they'll, like, waltz right to the finals and play a team like the Bucks again. I don't know. But good for them. Great season. I just don't care. Yeah. So I guess next, what we'll, we'll, we'll do is we'll, we'll, we'll kind of leave it at that. And mm. next week, we're going to talk. It's going to be the last week of the season, right? Because I think that, um, when does the yeah. play-in start? The play-in starts. Uh, I think April start? 16th. <laughs> yeah, the play-in actually starts next Tuesday, believe it or not, on the 12th. Oh, so okay. the the playoff start maybe on the 16th or the 17th, but the play-in starts on the 12th. So that means that before next pod, we might have a Nets game, and then we'll be talking about it. Maybe we'll be talking about the Nets hopefully making the playoffs <laughs> because mm-hmm. they beat a team 7 or 8th, possibly talking about the Nets season being over. <laughs> And then we'll also talk about All-NBA because that's important. We want to talk about All-NBA. There's a lot of guys to discuss whether, you know, who's who and for all that and stuff and where who should go where. And, yeah, just some, maybe uh, some final thoughts on the regular season. But thank you so much for listening to The Best Is Net to Come. Um, I was Josh. This was Mike. And um, we will be back next week. Have a great one.